Uh, my name is Madesh, if we haven't met, uh, let me add my welcome to Jeremy's. Uh, as Jeremy said, we're starting a new series in the book of Ephesians. Uh, so please do uh, take up your Bibles um, and open it up to Ephesians. Um, it's on page 1173. Um, open up to Ephesians, page 1173. Now, I'm just going to give us a very brief uh, introduction as we start looking at this letter over the next term. Uh, just to give us some bearings as we explore it together. See, in Ephesians, we see how the gospel story is centered on Jesus Christ. And in Christ, God is doing something magnificent in the world. And we, you and me, are included in that amazing story. Now, the controlling idea of Ephesians, I'm going to get you to do a little bit of work. So pull out your Bibles. We're going to flip through pages. Um, the controlling idea is expressed in chapter 1, verse 10. Take a look at it. God has revealed his will, which he purposed in Christ. And that is to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. You see, God has a plan that encompasses the entire cosmos, the whole created order, across space and time, from eternity to eternity, God has purposed something in Jesus. And that purpose is summarized here as bringing un unity to all things under Christ. Now we'll dig into the substance of that later on today. The thing to highlight now is that the church is right at the heart of this plan. God is forming a new multi-ethnic community of people who belong to him. People like you and me are included in what God has been doing, not just now, but throughout history. That's pretty amazing. Now, there are two prayers in Ephesians that bring that out. There's one in chapter 1 and there's another in chapter 3. Uh, they reveal God's heart for us, his desire for us. So take a look with me at chapter 1, verse 17. God reveals his plan to us so that we would know him better. Do you see it? Now, that's not an informational sort of knowledge. It's not knowing facts about God or things he's done. It's relational. It's a deep and intimate knowledge of who he is. It's knowing him the way dear friends know each other or the way a lover knows their beloved. And you notice how in verse 18, knowing God's plan is framed as knowing the hope to which he has called us. Now we're going to come back to the idea of calling in a moment. First look with me at the second prayer in chapter 3. Uh, turn to chapter 3, verse 17. Uh, do you see here, 3.17, the prayer is that Christ would live in our hearts through faith. And verse 18 and 19, as we come to know the extent of Christ's love, we would be filled to fullness. Now that's just a way of saying that we will grow up until we are fully formed into the likeness of Jesus, working out his purposes in everything that we do. Now that's the first half of Ephesians, knowing God's plan. The second half urges us, now that's in chapter 4, verse 1, take a look there. The second half urges us, on the back of knowing Christ in that way, 
to live lives worthy of our calling. That's the same call from chapter 1. See, it's showing us that the gospel story affects every part of our life stories. There's no part of our lives that won't be radically reshaped by what God is doing. How does that change come about? Well, Paul tells us, look at chapter 4, verse 21. We are taught the truth that is in Jesus. And that has the effect, verse 23 and 24, of renewing us on the inside, in our thinking and desires, so that we live righteous and holy lives. Knowing the truth in Jesus leads to living the truth. That's the message of Ephesians. It's a call for us to live as those who have been united under Christ. Simple as that. God is powerfully at work in us, and he's changing us as we grasp the truth that's in Jesus. And so as we spend the rest of this term reading through Ephesians, the question that would help you keep me on asking is this. How does this truth that's coming out of this text in this way, how does this truth wow me? Because if you can answer that, that's where change starts. So that's a brief intro to Ephesians. It's calling us to live as those who have been united under Christ. We're going to come back to it shortly. For now, we're going to spend some time praying, and Deborah is going to come up and lead us in those prayers. 1 to 14. <clears throat> Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace, that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things under heaven and on earth together, under one head, even Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might for the praise of his glory, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the, uh, promised, the promised Holy Spirit, who was a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Thank you, Mark. Please do keep that passage open in front of you. Let's pray. 
Our God and Father, these are your words of life and truth. Give us receptive hearts and minds as we hear them. Change us by your spirit as we look upon Christ. Amen. Full disclosure, I'm not a natural athlete. I'm sure you wouldn't have been able to tell that just by looking at me. So as a kid, when teams were being picked, you know how it goes, right? There's kind of two captains, there's a bunch of kids, and they're each picking one person for the team one by one. The best, the strongest, the fastest, they're the ones that get picked first, right? I would typically be among the last, which wasn't nice. Uh, to be fair, I wasn't good. I would have been a handicap on any team that I joined. But the experience of being left out was pretty awful. Being included, on the other hand, now you know this, you've experienced it. Being included honors us. It acknowledges our intrinsic worth. And those who include us, especially at formative times in our lives, win our affection, our loyalty, even our praise. That's how Ephesians starts. Verses 3 to 14 is one epic sentence that just praises God for including people like us in what he's been doing throughout history. The main, the main idea of that long sentence comes right at the beginning in verse 3. But the high point, the climax, comes in verse 10. So that's what we're going to focus on this afternoon. First, verse 10. Then we'll come to verse 3. And finally, our response. So verse 10. You're included in God's plan in Christ. See here, God is revealing the cosmic scope of his purposes for us in Christ. Pick it up from verse 9. God reveals the mystery of his will, what he purposed, what he intends to do. He's uncovering something that was previously hidden because he wants us to understand his saving purposes. That purpose is centered in Christ. I don't know if you notice how often that phrase comes up. It's used 11 times in this one sentence. See, in Christ is the way the Bible speaks about our connectedness to Christ. By faith, we are joined to Jesus. And that's not a metaphor. It's an actual union that has real effects in our lives. It's the basic truth of our new life. It's because of our union with Christ that we have died with him and been raised to new life with him. It's in Christ that the Holy Spirit applies all the benefits of Jesus' saving work to Christians. Well, what has God purposed in Christ? Verse 10. At the fullness of time, when God's work is complete, all things in heaven and on earth will be united 
under Christ. Everything that exists will be brought together under the headship of Jesus. Now you can't miss as you read this paragraph that God is in control. He acts intentionally. Things happen by his will because he has determined to act in a particular way. In verse 1, Paul is an apostle by his will. In verse 5, he makes us sons and daughters by his will. Verse 9, that's the will that he's revealing to us. Verse 11, he works out everything in agreement with his will. The, the entire universe operates according to this plan of God, a plan to bring glory to himself in Christ. And so in verse 10, absolutely everything is in view. Things seen and unseen. Nothing exists outside his control. Now that's a big deal because it shows us that life isn't a pointless, confusing mess. Often what we see and experience in life is like the tangled, knotty underside of a tapestry. It's only when we flip it around and we look at the top side that we see the beautiful, clear pattern that's been woven. Ephesians shows us that top side now so that we can make sense of the confusing stangle. There's a beautiful pattern only because God is in control. He has a definite plan that he's working out. To put that differently, you can say that there is a hand on the controls of the universe. A wise, decisive hand. But also a gentle, personal hand. The God who's in control, in verse 3, is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in verse 2, he's our Father. He's personally committed to and concerned for us. We aren't drifting about in an aimless universe. We aren't products of random chance. Salvation is warm and bright because God planned it. He had you in mind before the creation of the world. He holds us, his people, in his hands, working out his purposes for us in all of the little details. That's what makes our lives significant. Every fleeting thought, every choice, every experience you have matters. This is the God who calls you to faith and obedience and responsibility. 
you can take up that call with courage because you can have every confidence that his purposes will not fail. He energizes us. He sustains us. He keeps us loving through hardship and loss. His rule is what gives our choices significance. Now, there are two nuances to this plan of God. First, it's that idea of being brought under Christ. Sinners who by nature reject God are forgiven and come under Jesus' rule. In verse 4, God chooses us to make us holy and blameless. Verse 5, We go from being enemies to becoming daughters and sons in his family. Verse 7, we're bought at a price, redeemed. Our sins are forgiven at the price of Jesus' life. And so as we read Ephesians this term, every time you encounter that little phrase, in Christ, or Jesus is described as the head, or the Lord. Remember this truth. Remember God's plan to bring us under Christ. The second nuance is that idea of unity in Christ. Uh, There's a lot of we's and us's in this passage. Um, All of them in verses 1 to 10 refer to all Christians. But at the end of verse 12, we are described as the first to put our hope in Christ. And in verse 13, you were included only when you heard the gospel. Now the you here refers to Gentiles. We can be confident of that because it's explicit in chapter 2 verse 11. Take a look if you don't believe me. And so we know that the we refers to Jews. The Jews were one ethnic group, the family of Abraham. They were the ones through whom God was at work in human history. The Gentiles are everybody else, every other family, every other ethnic group. Now, historically, there were big cultural and religious divisions between Jews and Gentiles, just as there is hostility among different peoples today. But God's plan isn't limited to one ethnic group. God's plan is for everybody. And so verse 13, you Gentiles were also included when you heard and received the message of Jesus. And so this term, as we read Ephesians, every time you encounter the word one, or the idea of unity, remember this truth. Remember God's plan to unite us in Christ. Now, you might be wondering, how did we move from this cosmic scope, all things, to this focus on sinners under Christ and Jews and Gentiles united in Christ? Well, the reason is that the church is right at the center of God's cosmic purposes. See, God has acted decisively in Christ. 
But one look at the world, and you can tell pretty easily that all things have not yet been united under Christ. But the church, the church is the one place where that is already true. See, through the church, God reveals the wisdom of his plan. God shows what he's doing. God advances his plan and gathers glory to himself. Or to put it a different way, God aims to fill the universe with the glory of his son, Jesus. And the way he does that is by making the church the showcase of his perfections. You can visualize one dimension of what's going on uh, through this video in the background. The entire universe is ordered. It's firmly within God's control, ticking along day after day according to his plan. And yet God, our loving Father, has fixed his gaze on you. He chose you before he made it all to belong to him, to delight in him, to flourish in him. But you're not on your own. You're part of a living, breathing family, the church in which he lives. When we live as those who have been united under Christ, he looks good. That's the point. Salvation is warm and bright because God is in control. Our choices matter. Our actions matter. They are part of that grand tapestry that God has been weaving from eternity to eternity. Isn't that amazing? Is that remarkable that he includes people like us in what he's been doing? I think that's pretty awesome. You don't look persuaded. It's okay, we are halfway there. On to verse 3. So verse 10, you're included in God's plan in Christ. Verse 3, you are lavishly blessed in Christ. Take a look. That's what it says. God has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. How does God's plan affect us? Well, it's astonishing. He works for our good even though we don't deserve it. Who's the us who are blessed? Well, it's the church which has received God's mighty salvation. They're the ones who are described in verse 1 as holy and faithful. And we saw in verse 13 how they took hold of these blessings. They heard the message of truth, the message of how God has acted in Jesus to rescue, and they believed it. By faith, they have been included. And so our inclusion in these blessings is not automatic. 
we don't share in these blessings by default. Of course, from God's perspective, those of us who have heard and believed are those that he chose. Those whom he set his love upon from before the creation of the world. Think on this. You could be in any number of places right now, doing any number of things. And yet you've chosen to be here, together with this odd assortment of people, and deliberately direct your attention to the God who's revealed in these pages. That's no accident. Yes, you made a choice. But God generously purposed for you to be here. Don't be someone who looks on in wonder, but misses out on God's gifts. Instead, through these words, look upon the God who lavishes us with grace and take hold of those blessings by faith. Fix your eyes on what those who are joined to Jesus have. Verse 4. He has chosen us to be set apart, changing us from those who stand guilty and are justly condemned to those who now are blameless, without fault before God. What about verse 5? He predestined that we would become daughters and sons in his family with the full rights of inheritance. Verse 7. He gave his life to buy our freedom from the penalty and power of sin. He forgives. Verse 9. He generously reveals his will to us. We aren't left guessing. What about verse 13? He pours out his spirit on us so that all the benefits of Christ's work are applied to us so that they become a reality in our experience. And in verse 14, he gives us assurance that we are his, confidence that he will fully work out his purposes in us. It's scarcely possible to pile on more descriptions of how lavishly he supplies our need. You may be familiar with the musical Les Miserables. Sorry, my French is rotten. It's set during the French Revolution. And in it, Jean Valjean is a bitter man after spending 19 years in prison for stealing a loaf of bread. He's just been released, and with nowhere to go, the local bishop gives him a meal and a bed for the night. You should have papers. I'll sleep in the stable. Please, I'm hungry. Get out. Hey! Go. 
Come and suffer, you are weary. And the night is cold out here. Though our lives are very humble, what we have, we have to share. There is wine here to revive you. There is bread to make you strong. There's a bed to rest till morning. Rest from pain and rest from wrong. Bless the food we eat today. Bless our dear sister and our honored guest. We have your silver. We caught this man red-handed. Get the nerve to say you gave him this. That is right. But my friend, you left so early. Surely something slipped your mind. You forgot. I gave these also. Would you leave the best behind? Monsieur, release him. This man has spoken true. I commend you for your duty. Now God's blessing go with you. But remember this, my brother. Seeing this some higher plan, you must use this precious silver to become an honest man by the witness of the martyrs by the passion and the blood God has raised you out of darkness I have saved your soul for of grace. He doesn't get the punishment his crime deserves. This time it would be fair. He's not just shown mercy. Return the silver and go free. He's given a lavish, undeserved gift. And more is piled on. Take the candlesticks, you forgot them. He's given a fortune. That's how God, our Father, treats us. 
you need to know that God is gracious. That he has richly blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Because you must receive and depend on his generosity. There is no other hope for a changed life or a changed world. And you'll notice as you reflect on these gifts that while God the Father is the giver, God the Son is the gift. He is the great treasure. The fundamental reality here is our union with Christ. Remember that little phrase, in Christ. It is in Christ alone that God has blessed his people from eternity to eternity. It's scarcely believable that he could be so open-hearted to us. Left to ourselves, we tend to think that we are either too good to need grace or too bad to receive it. We're wired to live for our desires. Desires which by default are bent away from God and in on ourselves. We might feel superior to others. We might be weighed down with self-pity. We may crave more and better stuff, hoping it will finally satisfy we nurse grievances. We chase pipe dreams of success and happiness. Maybe you've been sinned against terribly. Maybe your own selfishness and sense of entitlement make you enlarge minor offenses into capital crimes. Maybe your own sins provoke others to retaliate sinfully, reaping what you sow. Or perhaps you reflect on your failures and you feel hopeless. My failures are too many, too often, too great. But grace pursues us. It nags at us. It is for people like us. Grace woos us. It comforts us when we think we are far too gone to be rescued. Ephesians is written for us. It shows us the blazing glory of God in Christ. It shows us God's plan for our lives, our families, our work, for society. You need to know that God is gracious so that you turn and depend on him. See from these verses that God lavishes grace on us in Christ. Well, where does that leave us? Surely God's plan for us and his lavish grace to us in Jesus must wow you. Can it do anything else? Look at verse 3 again. Praise be 
to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. You can't help but be moved to praise out of a heart that is overflowing with gratitude. This whole paragraph is first and foremost an outburst of praise to God. Look quickly at how that praise is carried through. In verse 6, God acts in Christ according to his will to the praise of his glorious grace. Verse 12, God works out his plan in line with his will so that we might be for the praise of his glory. Verse 14, you also were included and have been given the Holy Spirit to the praise of his glory. You get the idea, right? God's plan is to unite all things under Christ. He reveals that plan to us so that he would be glorified. The church, we, are the showcase of his perfections. It's his work in us, us being in Christ, that makes him look good. And in his generosity, we are lavished with the richest blessings. We have it all. There is nothing we lack. Take a minute to quietly reflect on that and respond in your own hearts.